0: Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, last time that I was preaching in this um, study, I saw some points I just want to remind you of. And a large focus was on faithfulness. I think it's so important. Again, we, we've talked about the Thessalonian church, how they came to faith in persecution. They were persecuted as new Christians, and yet Paul was commending them for their faith and for their endurance, for their faithfulness to the to the Lord, and, and for His purposes. And so, uh, even amidst this great persecution, and so there's a lot of things that we can glean, and we have gleaned from them. La- the last message, uh, three of the points were uh, the three points were this. That we should daily strive for our lives to be deemed worthy of God's calling. We should daily strive for our lives to be deemed worthy of God's calling. His calling is very clear. We're to be about his business and his business alone. And um, every day we should be striving, God, I want to be worthy of that calling that you have in each of our lives. Number two was we can experience unique blessings in struggles, because of faithfulness, I want to say that again because I think it's especially some of the testimonies shared and, and what's going on in many of the lives and, of our members here. Listen to this again: we can experience unique blessings in struggles because of our faithfulness. You know, a lot of times we we want to give up, we want to run, we want to quit, we want to um, just pull back—all those things. But a lot of times, if we do that, we miss these unique blessings that are inside of that struggle. And again, the, the, the Thessalonian believers experienced some of that along the way. And I, I shared last time, I, I don't want to miss anything, any type of blessing that God has. So if he has me walking through a trial, if he has me walking through something difficult, I want to make sure to stay faithful to him so I don't miss any of the blessings, even in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that struggle. And so um, that was point number two. But again, remaining faithful was the key, remaining faithful, faithful in our heart, faithful in, in, in everything. Uh, number three was this. We should be focused on Christ being glorified through our work of faith and faithfulness. And that was Paul's prayer for them. And that's what, that should be our focus in our lives. We should be focused on Christ being glorified through our work of faith and faithfulness. Uh, we've shared many times before, you know, you may knock on a door for 20 years. You may uh, talk to that family member. You may be faithful in your life to the Lord. That neighbor sees you year after year. Whatever the case may be. But our, our aim, our focus should be God being glorified, not us seeing fruit, not us getting what we want, but God being glorified through our work of faith and faithfulness. Um, and, and when we, we have that as our focus, it takes a lot of pressure off of us. You know, when we're doing something uh, for the Lord, man, I've been witnessing this person, I've been doing this, I've been doing this, I've been doing this, and I haven't been seeing anything. Well, then, you know, what are you doing it for? Why are you serving God? Why are you witnessing to that lost person? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because if you're doing it so that you can see something happen or you can get something from it, that's the wrong focus. The focus should be on Christ being glorified in everything that we do. That should be the focus. I want to remain faithful. I want to continue to do His work. I want to continue to do what He's called us to do. Why? Because He's glorified in that. He, and, and, and I want Him to be glorified in my life. And so I want to pray. Move forward tonight, see a couple of points, and uh, hopefully get something uh, to help us. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time again. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us to serve you. Thank you so much for um, just your healing hand. And Lord, we thank you for the testimonies tonight. Lord, thank you for doing that work in uh, Miss Judy's life. We praise you for that. We know that's your hand. We know that's uh, all you. Lord, we, we thank you for the good report from uh, Brother Turner and the, the, the report of no cancer uh, from Brenda's Brethren. Lord, we, we praise you for all these things because we, we uh, again, know you're a good God. We know that you are still in the healing business. and Lord, we also want to, as a church, call on your name for uh, Brother D and uh, the Dean family. Lord, we, again, have been praying for them uh, just constantly. And our hearts are heavy because uh, it's a man that we know loves you and loves serving you. Loves giving the gospel uh, to everyone and anyone he can. And Lord, their desire is to continue to do that. And uh, I know my desire is to see them continue to do that. But Lord, I also know that you are eternal. And then you have a wisdom that none of us can ever understand. Uh, You have a plan that we don't always see or understand as well. And so our desire is that you would heal him. Or that you would touch his his brain. That you would touch uh, the things going on in his body right now that you would use the doctors, the nurses, whatever you would have to do uh, in, in any, any capacity, uh, but that you would just touch him and that you would heal him. He'd get up out of that bed and he'd be able to go back serving you and um, raising his family. Lord, I pray for Mary, I pray for the kids, that you'd give them comfort and, and a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, even in the midst of all this, they wouldn't be able to explain it to anybody, but they would just be able to say God's comforting us. So we ask for that, Lord. We ask that you would just pour out your blessings on them right now. And um, Lord, help us as a church to just pour out your love in their lives as they're going through this as well. And uh, again, Lord, we we trust you in this. So we pray you move tonight in our hearts and in this message. Pray that you just use me as a vessel uh, to speak what every single one of us needs to hear tonight. I pray your spirit would uh, instruct us and we would be at a place where we would receive uh, the message in your word. We'll praise you for all this, God, and we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon or so easily shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So there are doctrines and there have been doctrines since, of course, this time of, of, of this writing, that have scared believers. And again, today there are still doctrines that exist in, in, in the world that scare people, that scare even church-going, Bible-reading, uh, you know, gospel-believing Christians. Those doctrines can be uh, very intimidating. But some of them include the fact that Christ, or, or the, the belief, that it's not a fact, uh, the belief that Christ has already come, and that Christians are going to experience God's wrath. And again, on and on and on, everything to do this. Very, very damaging, very uh, damnable doctrines as well. Uh, but Paul was trying to encourage these Thessalonian believers. Remember, they were new Christians. They were new believers, especially in, in contrast to several of us. If you've been you know, a Christian for 10 years or 20 years, uh, you were an experienced Christian compared to these Thessalonian believers. And so they were, they were, they were worried. You know, they, people had crept in. They had believed that all this persecution, all these trials and tribulations that were coming upon them, uh, well, maybe the day of the Lord, judgment has come. We have missed the return of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is telling them, look, don't, don't be so soon, don't be so easily shaken in, in, in your mind or, or troubled or, or in any way that the day of Christ is at hand, that it's already come upon you. And he's in trying to encourage them of this, and he's begging them. In light of the fact that Christ is coming back soon, he's begging them, again, not to be shaken in mind. So what, what does this mean? I think we could put several different illustrations on this and examples in this. But I think that we all have, at some point in time, um, doubted some things in our Christian faith, have not all altogether doubted our salvation. Um, again, for whatever reason, wherever you're at in your life, you get to this point, point and, you, and you start thinking, well, I know a minute when I prayed that prayer, I know it when I surrendered my life, but, man, I'm really struggling with this right now. Again, our mind kind of gets shaken, our confidence gets, gets shaken from that place of, of absolute assurance. And um, that's what Paul's saying. I don't want anything or anybody to come along and shake your confidence in the truth. I, don't, don't let it happen. Don't let anybody shake you in your mind. Don't move from the confidence of truth. Don't be moved from confidence in Jesus Christ. And don't be troubled, don't be frightened, don't be scared. Matter of fact, he told Timothy, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. So he's, he's trying to encourage these new believers, don't let anything or anyone come along and shake your confidence in the truth. Don't let anything, any circumstance, any teaching, any, anything come along and shake your, 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 your comfort and your confidence in Jesus Christ. Not a spirit. If it seems like, well, the spirit seemed like he was saying this, uh, and this is just a side note. Uh, man, I, I have really struggled with um, some of these false doctrines that are out there because uh, people can make them sound very convincing and they sound very spiritual. And they use scriptures out of context to make their points. And if somebody's not rooted and grounded in the truth, then they can easily be pulled off. I, I've seen this happen uh, way too many times. I, I'm thinking of one example of a young man that. Uh, was a new christian and he was on fire for the lord and they came to this church and, and 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 one of the first things he started to do was research online and watch youtube videos and it was one of the worst mistakes that could ever happen and i tried to encourage him look don't don't watch youtube videos get in the word of god get in the word of god you get down at, on your knees ask the lord to speak to you and get in his word and let the holy spirit do that because you start listening to what other people say something says then you're going to get really messed up. And, and that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. He began to go down this path of, of a doctrine that's not, it's a man-made doctrine. And to this day, f- firmly believes in this doctrine. And, uh, and now I want to say this, it's not necessarily a doctrine that is a damning doctrine as far as uh, salvation goes. But it's a doctrine of man that's not, it's not right. And uh, so anyways, he says, don't, don't let anything, not a spirit, not a message by man. And he goes even so far to say, not even a, a message, a letter from us, the missionary team. Think about this. This is, how, this is how much Paul was trying to tell these believers. Stand on the truth. Be in the truth. Don't listen to anyone. Don't listen to anything. Even if you get another letter from us, disregard it. Don't, don't follow anything else but the truth that's already been delivered to you. Again, he had delivered this truth. He delivered the truth, including the return of Jesus Christ, what it was supposed to look like. And so he was trying to help them understand point number one, which still resonates to us today. And that's this that truth is not evolving. Truth is not evolving. It's not an evolving thing. It's not something that uh, we, we, we come, uh, well, I used to believe this, and now I've come to this place that. No, if it's truth, it's truth. It's absolute, it's not relative. It doesn't change with our circumstances. It doesn't change with our mood. It doesn't change with our, our, the seasons of our life. Truth is absolute. It's not revolving. And this is something that really, um, it, 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 can, it can be a point of frustration. Because people can say and stand and say, this is truth. And then circumstances come along and change that. For them, and all of a sudden, it's not necessarily completely truth. This is also truth. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Either this is truth or it's not truth. And this is truth or it's not truth. And so again, it can be very frustrating um, when that happens. But Paul says, even if someone comes along and says, You've missed it, you've missed the return of Jesus Christ, uh, panic mode needs to be set, set in right now because you're about to face the wrath of God. Look! Don't believe them. The question I have for us tonight is this. How can you gauge truth? How How can you gauge what is truth? How do you measure what truth is? How do you measure it? Go ahead. There you go. You measure truth by truth. By the only truth. When we talk about truth, again, in our, in our postmodern society, uh, relative truth is, is pre- prevalent. I mean, it, it's what everybody thinks. I mean, uh, again, even inside of Christendom, you have all these denominations, and some people claim to uh, cling to preferences as truth, but it's not truth, it's preferences. They have man made doctrines that are not truth, not found in the Word of God, but derived from a man's thinking, and they claim it as truth. And so how do you how do you figure out what truth is amidst all of this? By uh, truth. The only truth, the word of God. Period. And here's the here's the the thing that I've I've mentioned before that we don't like in this day and time. Because we live in such an instant society, um, we, we don't want to spend the time. We, we want it only to come from either the pastor or the Sunday school teacher. Or we want to only get it from a quick Bible study or a quick devotion that we read every morning. Or a quick Bible verse that pops up on our phone or whatever. I mean, we, we want that to be the, the, the source of our rooting and grounding in the truth. And that's not how it happens. It happens by us laboring in the Word of God. It happen, happens through us seeking God's face daily and in, 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 in spending the time. So I just don't have the time. Then we've got to reprioritize. Because if we're going to stand on the truth, we've got to know the truth. And to know the truth, we've got to be in the truth. To be able to say, this is not truth, you've got to know what truth says. And so again, we've got to be in the Word of God. It doesn't happen like a, a microwave dinner. It doesn't happen like a, like a fast food restaurant. You've heard me mention that before. We want to we get in the fast food line, order it at the window, and then be out with our food in less than a couple minutes. And if we have to sit in that line for longer than probably five minutes then we want our money back and we want to go somewhere else. <laughs> It'll take no longer to drive somewhere else, but that's the way it goes. I mean, that's the way our mind and the way that our lives are wired. That's how we want the truth today as well. We, we just want it, we, we want a, a quick fix to our, our Christian life, and that's not how it happens. Again, the Word of God is the standard. It's the measuring stick. And just because we live in this day and time doesn't mean that there is a such thing as Post-truth. Will we move beyond absolute truth? No, we haven't. And I'll say this. If you're not in the truth, like digging into the truth, you will be easily swayed by different doctrines coming about. I, we, I, could, I could bring different doctrines. I wouldn't do that because it would be um, uh, like playing with fire. Uh, but I could bring different doctrines that are man-made doctrines that have very, very, very compelling arguments and teach them as if they were truth. And many people if you're not grounded in the truth would walk out and say, "Wow, this is amazing." Unless you were grounded in the truth. And so that's why again the encouragement for Paul uh, was saying, "Look, don't don't be swayed, don't be easily swayed. You've been you've, you you've received the truth already. And if you're not, again, you're going to be easily swayed. Once respected teachers and 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 Men of God have stood on truth and through circumstances been swayed and proclaimed something relative now. Well, this is okay. I'm not saying that we can't change our minds. I'm not saying that we we can't come to a different place or a, a deeper understanding or a greater understanding of something. But when it comes to truth, mark it down. Truth is truth, period. Again, preferences may change, Uh, circumstances may change. We may come to different places of growth uh, when when we have the truth. But never once does the truth ever change or evolve. It never does. Truth remains. I've shared before about banking, how to tell a counterfeit. How can you tell if something's wrong? How do you tell if, if there's a counterfeit bill coming through your drawer? Well, they teach you. You handle enough of the real stuff and you'll be able to point out the, the counterfeit just like that. And it's so true. I mean, I, I've shared this story before. Some of you may not heard it, so I, I'll, I'll share it a little bit. Um, but they send you. They sent me to this, this teller training. And so it was like a, a week of training of how to be a teller. And in this training, they take you in this back room, and they tell you all the rules and, 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 and all the repercussions of letting, you know, fake checks come through, fraudulent checks, counterfeit. I and mean, they talk about you got... So much limit, and then if it comes through, then you're fired. You get probation, then you're fired. And I mean, they set panic in like right, right away. I'm thinking, oh, no. I don't, I don't I know I've seen a counterfeit bill, but I've never handled it before, and that's what they taught us. Look, you're going to count a lot of money in this training week, and you're going to count a lot of real money, and you'll come across a counterfeit, and they throw one every, in every now and then. Um, And it became so true as as I became uh, more experienced as a teller and just, I mean, counting thousands and thousands of dollars every day, just really fast, boom, 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 boom. Immediately when some passes through, you're like, I mean, it just, you just feel it by nature. it's like, that's a counterfeit. Put it through. Yep, that's a counterfeit. But that's how it is with the word of God, with truth. If you handle the real thing, if you handle truth all the time. Then you'll know when something's off. You'll know when something's false. You'll know when something's wrong. Your radar will go up. Your spirit, it'll be grieved inside. This is not right. This is not true. I may not be able to point to the exact verse, but I know this is not truth because the truth is inside me. I'll say this too. It's okay to learn what other uh, religions believe and what other uh, pseudo-Christian religions believe. And I say uh, pseudo-false or fake Christian um, beliefs or derivatives of Christianity It's okay to learn what they, you know, they come knocking at your door and they got their literature and it's very compelling. And you're like, wow, they know what they believe. And so the the nature of man is to say, I want to know what they believe. So when they come to my door next time, I can tell them where they're wrong. I'll just say this, get in the word of God, know what you believe, and you won't have to worry about what they believe. You know what they're coming to your door to tell you? What they believe. So when when you stand there and they want to have this discussion about it, you tell them what you know is truth. Not that came some hillside and was under some rock. But what came to the men of God that he delivered uh, years, thousands of years ago. And Paul said, don't let anything rattle you from the truth. You know, Jesus hadn't come. He hadn't come again uh, at this point in time. And, and Paul was telling these believers this. Again, we have to know this truth based off of what Jesus said. And he said this in John chapter 14 in verse, uh, verse one. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen to what he says. And if I go to prepare a place for you, listen to the promise of Jesus Christ. I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. See, here's the reality that the Thessalonians Their their fear of whether they they missed Jesus' return and the day of the Lord had come upon them already discounted the grace and the salvation that they received by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why Paul was saying, look, don't be so easily shaken. I've given you the truth. You trusted in Jesus Christ, believing that he was the only way to salvation. You trusted that the gospel that was given to you was truth. So your assurance is 100% in the grace of our Lord 100% 100% in his work on the cross and the, and, and the resurrection. And if that's the case, then you know what Jesus said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if you're in me, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to that place. That where I am, there you may be also. Of course, he goes on and says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. But Jesus made it clear to his followers, and this truth still stands today. He's coming again. He's going to come back, and when he does, he's going to take us, the believers, the same as the Thessalonian believers then, he's going to take us to be where he is. Same truth exists today. Regardless of what man says, regardless of what things look like, regardless of uh, how we feel, he's going to come again, he's going to receive us to himself. Look what Paul says uh, to emphasize this in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. So no way, let no man deceive you By any means, you know what you've been given. You know the truth that's been delivered to you. Don't let any person deceive you in any way. And he explains, here are some things that has to happen first. These things will come before Jesus comes again. He says, that day shall not come except. So, the day of the Lord, the Lord's return, the second coming, a day of rapture, a day of judgment, will come for sure, but before it comes for sure, Some things are going to happen. Some clear and very noticeable things are going to happen. The first thing that he mentions is something very important and I think very pertinent for our day, 2018. 2,000 years removed from when this was written. Almost 2,000 years. He says that before the return of the Lord, there has to come a falling away first. A falling away first. Falling away from what? Falling away from the faith, falling away from the truth, falling away from the the church, the the organism, the organization, the the living body of Jesus Christ, people are going to fall away from it before he returns. Now, imagine what it looked like right off the bat after after Jesus ascended. Day of Pentecost comes, Uh, Jesus, I mean, uh, Peter stands up, they preach, they're speaking with, with cloven tongues of fire. And uh, every man's hearing in their own language. Thousands of people are are getting saved. You go a little bit further, thousands of more people are getting saved. The apostles go scattered throughout all the the known world at that point in time. The gospel gets spread. The apostle Paul is called out with with Barnabas. And they go and start churches all over Asia Minor. The gospel is spreading all over. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands, not millions of people are getting saved at this point in time. Now, there are some that are being pulled away by the Judaizers. There are some that are being swayed by false doctrine. There are some that are falling away already. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about before Jesus comes back, there's going to be a great departing from the faith. There's going to be a great departure from the things of God. And so point number two is this. There is a falling away evolving. While truth does not evolve and is not evolving there is a falling away that is evolving. The definition of evolve is this, to develop gradually, especially from simple to a more complex form. And I will say this, no doubt that's the nature of the falling away. It has grown, it's developed, and the falling away from Christianity, the falling away from the gospel, the falling away from the church, the falling away from the faith is so complex today. It is so, it's like a... um, it is like a disease. It's like a web that's, that's been weaved all throughout Christendom to fall away from the faith. And, and, and the reason I say that is because I think there are people that are sitting in church seats and pews that are part of, part of this falling away. They're already departed. Their hearts are not for the Lord. Their hearts are not for The kingdom of God, their hearts are not for his church and for his kingdom. They're not not there. And so again, it's a very complex issue, but I think we see it widespread across Christianity today. So clearly there's some truths about it. It will precede the return of the Lord, this falling away. It will be evident. Even as it gets closer to his return, it will become even more evident. And as I said, I think complex. And so I will say here, 2018, April, it is absolutely here, it is absolutely growing, it's evolving, this falling away, and it's ugly, it's an ugly falling away. There hasn't been a more obvious time that the things of God are more a matter of preference than a response to grace than today did you hear what i said that there's not been a more obvious time when the things of god the things of god were more a matter of preference than they were a response to grace than today name it name it i don't feel like it i don't want to Today is the day of, I think, I don't want, I, 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 I. It's a matter of preference. Today, the church is full of people with with their own preference coming to the church. I'm not saying that we don't have our own mind, that we aren't our own people, that we aren't uh, uniquely designed and, and placed in the body of Christ for a specific purpose. Absolutely. That's all truth. That's all biblical. But just because we are unique, just because we have our own thoughts and we bring our own talents that God has given us and and, and gifts that God's bringing us, it doesn't mean that we can bring our own preference to how the church operates or how we operate within the church. It doesn't mean that. But that's what it's become. That's how it, I mean, from everything from whether I go to church, a church worship service, or whether I am engaged in the church vision, whether I'm a part of what it is. Again, we have a new members class, and in our new members class, we talk about what a member is, what a member does, and, 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 and we lay out all the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Corinthians 14, and we talk about gifts, we talk about the body, we talk about how God has placed it together and, and how every member is important. Every member has a part. Every member should be connected and faithful and working and serving. Why? So that the whole body is edified. For what purpose? So that the head of the body is glorified. That's what the Bible says. But we bring preferences. Says, I don't know. I, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. I don't want to. I don't. Where is that? And again, we, we, we make it a matter of preference instead of a response of grace, yet we claim grace as the reason of our preference. Well, God's grace, His mercy. Don't abuse His grace to do something. That's, that's, that's exactly what Paul said not to do. Don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. Use it to serve. Use your liberty to serve, not to please what you want to do. Jesus, again, warned that this would come in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. It says, and and then shall many be offended. And That that word offend means to fall away. So many many will fall away and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. This is, again, within Christendom. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Again, I think that we're there, not just outside of Christianity, but within Christianity. There's false prophets prophecies there's false teachings going on all over the place and look what he says in verse 12 and because iniquity or lawlessness is going to abound the love of many many people's love is going to grow cold the love for others the love for the church the love for christ the love for his work the love for his kingdom the love of the things of god is going to grow cold the love of uh, of god himself is going to grow, grow cold in the hearts of even the people that are associated with christianity Again, these aren't necessarily false prophets of another religion. False prophets specifically deceiving, professing Christians. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to warn Timothy. Again, Timothy, remember, is a pastor. And and he was was leading a a church and and, and was going to be leading this church. And so the the Apostle Paul, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling Timothy as a pastor that the end times is going to look like this. Look at what he says in First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Some people are going to leave the faith. And they're going to give heed. This is why. They're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. From which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Again. They're going to have all these doctrines, they're going to have all these beliefs, and they're going to say, this is the truth, and there's going to be a lot of people believe these false teachings, these false teachers, and they're going to depart from the faith. That's what he said. The the, the latter days, the end times are going to look like this. People are going to leave for different reasons. 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, in the second letter to Timothy, Paul says this, in verse 1, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. What does perilous mean? It means dangerous. Dangerous times are going to come in the last days. Why? Because men are going to be lovers of their own selves. Huh. What did we say a while ago? Preferences are going to drive and not the grace of God. Men are going to be lovers of themselves. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. If I just miss one, if I just don't do this, if I don't do that. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves. They're going to be covetous, boasters proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Now, I want to just talk a little bit about a couple of these. First of all, we know that there's a, 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 a prevailing uh, problem of disobedience to parents, and I believe part in, in, in part because of the family uh, dilemma that's going on in our nation. I mean, there there are so many single families because in uh, so many absent we, we just watched a video series about it not not uh, having the, the the right family dynamic that God created and ordained and so I think that we have a, a major problem and it's evident you got children that are disobedient to parents we, we, we look at some of these kids that are acting out and even some of these ones that are that are shooting and doing this kind of stuff and and almost every single time you can look to there's a fam- there's a problem in the family but we see this clearly, that there is disobedience to parents, unthankful. This is something I've, I've shared before. We talked about having an attitude of gratitude and, and, and being thankful and living a life from a thankful perspective. And, and it is, it's maybe a peeve of mine. Um, you know, I, I don't expect things, but I, I think there's just this measure of um, cordial, um, mutual respect, respect. Um, and maybe it was just the way I was raised. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But if I'm walking and somebody opens the door, or, or we're walking out, a, out of a door and, and somebody stops and holds the door for us to go through, I don't just keep walking. I say thank you. If somebody says something, does something, I say thank you. Thank you. But we live in a, in a, in a time and a culture where not everybody's like that. Even inside the church, there's an expectation. People don't have this, this attitude of gratitude. It's not this thankfulness that resonates from the, the people of God. And the people of God should be the most thankful people there are uh, ever. We have the most things to be thankful for. Even in our worst days, we have the greatest thing to be thankful for. That we're saved on our way to heaven. But unthankful unholy, without natural affection, which is very clearly widespread in our culture today. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despise of those that are good. Again, we see fighting. We see all kinds of stuff. I showed this the other day. You can't hardly watch a video uh, somewhere like YouTube or whatever. And, and the next thing, oh, maybe it's just some of the stuff that I watch, you know, hunting and stuff like that. But it loads up a, a, another video. Hey, you want to watch this? These people fighting. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. It's 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 all in the schools. It's just this this uh, you know I've seen some of those videos too, where these 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 kids are absolutely defiant and and bowing up to these teachers and, and wanting to fight these teachers. I'm thinking, my dad would have killed me. So I never would have ever got to that place that those those kids are getting to today. But this is again what it is: traitors, heady, they're full of themselves, and high-minded lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure, and that word more means rather. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So again, we look around at the landscape of Christendom, the people who are going to church, the people who claim to be Christians, and again, it's, these things are even prevalent inside of that. And look what it goes on to say, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of the, how, how, are, how, are, how are they denying the power of it? But having a form of it, it's in their lifestyle, it's in their action. They don't live it out. They have a show of it, but it's not real. And he says, from such turn away. Don't, don't, don't have that fellowship with them like the body of Christ. He says this, because of this sort are they which creep into houses, lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lusts. And look what he says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And again, that's so much today. There's so much knowledge You get knowledge pretty much anywhere. Just like I said a while ago, young man, YouTube. You can YouTube and you can Google just about anything you want to. Knowledge is everywhere. But never able to come to the knowledge of what's that word? Of truth. Truth. Now, the question I have this, and I'm almost done, is uh, I want to share an article and then we'll be done. Why why would Paul need to instruct and encourage Timothy about the end times so much? Again, he's a pastor. Why would he need to do this? Why, as a pastor, would Timothy need to be reminded, as Paul did and exhorted him, to, to preach the word, to be instant, in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine? Why would Paul need to tell Timothy, who was sold out, who Paul said at one point in time, I have no other man like him that I'm going to send. He's the one I would send. He's like-minded, he's like-hearted. I'm going to send Timothy. Why would Paul need to, to to encourage as an apostle to a pastor, why would he encourage him to be steadfast and to endure and to preach and to teach the way that he was? Why was he reminding him about the, the nature of people in the end of time? Why was Paul having to do this? I believe because it wasn't just for Timothy, but for pastors even today like myself. See, it's disheartening when we say that we have the same God. We have the same spirit inside of every single one of us. It's disheartening when we say there is one God, there's one church, there's one spirit, there's one mission. Yet every professing Christian isn't a part of it isn't a part of the oneness, isn't a part of, of, of what God has called us to. And, and I get that's been the nature of, of, it, of it since this time, but that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Look, people, it's going to grow. This, this falling away is going to evolve. There's going to be less and less people engaged at the end of time there going to be less and less people seeing that it's important to do the things of God because they're going to be so saturated with, with pleasure rather than God. They're going to be so saturated with, with themselves and what they want and how they want to live and with their preferences. That's the way it's going to be. Now, it's the nature of it. I understand that. And I understand that Jesus dealt with it even before the resurrection. I mean, his only even in his group, people betraying him. Scattering, denying Him. I mean, I understand it's the nature of mankind. And I'm not professing to be perfect by, by any means. But it is disheartening. And it doesn't make it easy when it's the reality in our lives. It's concerning that maybe not every professor of salvation is truly a possessor of salvation and so I want to submit exhibit A, if you will an article that I came across uh, a while back and so I'm just going to read this article and this, is, this guy wrote um, does church research, he said about 20 years ago a church member was considered active in the church if he or she attended three times a week you guys are on Wednesday night so I'm preaching to the choir but maybe you weren't here Sunday morning or Sunday evening but you were consider, a church member considered active if, if he or she attended three times a week. Today, a church member is considered active if the church he or she attends three times a month. He goes on to say something's wrong with this picture. For 2,000 years, the local church, as messy as it is, has been God's place for believers to gather, to worship, to minister, or to serve, and to be accountable to one another. He says, and every time I write something about church membership and attendance, I inevitably hear cries of legalism or the church is not a building or the church is a messed up institution. But the local church, the messy local church, is what God has used as his primary instrument to make disciples. But commitment is waning among many church members. But why? Why? And so I put, some, I put these on the, the board so you could see them as I read them. First of all, we're minimizing the importance of the local church today. This is why the commitment is waning among many church members. We're minimizing the importance of the local church. When we do, we're less likely to attend. When we minimize the importance of the local church, it's less important to us to attend. A few drops of rain may keep many folks from attending church, but it won't stop them from sitting three hours in the downpour to watch their favorite football team. Number two, we worship the idols of activities. He says many members will replace a day in their church with a day at a kid's soccer or softball games or sleeping off the hangover from the previous day's activities. And that's so true. Number three, we take a lot of vacations from church. He says, I'm not anti-vacation, but 20 years or so ago, we would make certain that we attended a church where we were taking vacation. Today, many members take a vacation from church. Number four, we do not have high expectations of our members. Now, this is on, in, in general. Um, as I said, in our new members class, we lay out there, and we, we, I think we have high expectations. It's very rare uh, to have what we have in our church. As a matter of fact, this is kind of a side note. The same researcher, same uh, blogger, um, has found that churches like ours that have a, a new members class have less attrition and more involvement, and are more healthy and growing than average, the average number of churches. So I praise God for that. I praise God that our churches does not necessarily fit into every um, category. Here, so, But he says we don't have a high expectations of our members in general today in the church. Any purposeful organization expects and gets much of its members. Let me say that again. Any perfect, purposeful organization expects and gets much of its members, whether it's a sports team or a civic organization. It's ironic that most churches do not come close to being a high expectation church. And that's where we are. You know, that's that's we, we try to make sure that we uh, hold membership accountable, hold leadership accountable, we try to do those things. Why? Because there's a high expectation. We're the organization of God. Yeah, you know, try to try to not meet the expectations at your job. What would happen? You wouldn't have a job. Not for very long. But we 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 discount the Lord's church because why? We don't get paid. Because it's not a source of of buying stuff. That's how we can discount it. Let's not forget we were bought with his blood. And the Apostle Paul said, you got to remember you're no longer yourselves because you're bought with a price. Number five, we make infrequent attendees leaders in our churches, and we try not to do that. Um, But it says when we do, we are making a clear statement that even... The leaders of the church do not have to be committed to the place they supposedly lead. Again, membership, leadership. It's the Lord's church. We should show up. We should be here. We should worship him. We should encourage each other. We should exhort one another. We should serve one another. We should do all the things that the first church did, that Jesus taught, that Paul wrote, that we should be doing as a church. That's what we should be doing. He goes on and he says this, I heard a leader of an organization tell the members, listen, That he did not want them if they were not fully committed. They could not be AWOL if they wanted to be part of the group. He expected full commitment. So you can't be a part of the group unless you're fully committed. You know what he said? This guy is a high school school football coach. And all team members follow that high expectation of commitment. If you're not fully committed, you're not on the team. listen to what he says. If we truly expect to make a difference in our communities, our families, members of local churches need to have at least the same level of commitment as members of sports teams. Listen, after all, the mission of each local church is far more important than a sports team. At least it should be. So what does commitment look like? This is another article that he wrote. It looks like this. A committed, fully committed member, number one, has taken steps of affiliation with the church. This is my my church home. Number two, attends worship on a regular basis, is faithful to gather with the body. Number three, identifies with the vision and the purpose of the church. This is what we're about. This is what we're doing, and I'm a part of it. Number four is pursuing meaningful relationships. Listen, that's the truth. Like, if we're not connecting to each other, if, if you're not making an effort to connect with another member in this body, you're not a fully committed member. I, I used the illustration before, and I used it at our leadership conference about uh, Remember the Titans. I love that movie. It's probably my favorite movie. Um, and and the, the team was divided, and the coach, the coach determined, you know what, I'm going to make y'all connect. You're going to get with somebody of the opposite sex and you're going to get to know them. I mean the opposite sex, op- opposite race. <laughs> you're going to get together with an opposite sex and get to know them. <laughs> really good. Different, different mission, different mission. <laughs> you're going to get together with someone of the opposite, uh, the, the opposite race and you're going to get to know them. He was determined to make sure... That's a good little comic relief, right? Uh, (laughs) You're going to get to know your team. You're going to know that person, even if they're on the other side of the ball. And so, again, that's what it's about. We're not going to be effective if we're not forming purposeful relationships. Period. That's why we encourage our new members, hey, just as people welcomed you when you come in, we want you to start welcoming people. If you're a member in this church and you've been a member for a long time, you better be welcoming people. Be a part of it. Say hi to people, get to know their name, know that they're uh, you know, hey, I didn't know they were a member. You should know that they are a member. If we present them, know their name, know their member, make meaningful relationships, connect. Somebody who's fully committed is purposeful or pursuing meaningful relationships. Number five, gives financially. You know, we will give to everything else than anything else. Our kids sports, our kids school, our kids this, our hobby, our activity. Our stuff, but when it comes to giving to the Lord in his mission, eh, I'm not saying we, I'm just saying that's, that's sometimes in mentality. Number six, serves the body in some way. Serves the body in some way, has a place, doing something. Number seven, has intentional gospel conversations. Knows this is what we're about. Has intentional gospel conversations. And number eight is maturing in his or her faith. You know, stats show today that 65% of churches are either declining or plateauing. 65% of churches are either declining or plateauing. Not adding members, but losing members. That's a sad statistic. But I think it points to one of the things that he said right here is having intentional co- gospel conversations. See, the stats on, on sharing faith are very staggering, very sad. This is a LifeWay study that was done a couple of years ago, but nothing, n- not much has changed. It says 58% Of Christians, professing Christians, said that they felt comfortable sharing their faith. And I think that would be the case for us today if we raised our hand and said, hey, how many people know what you believe, how you were saved, and that you could tell somebody else how to be saved? I think the majority of people in here say, yeah, I know how I got saved. I could tell somebody how to get saved. The majority of people, and that's what the survey says, 58% said that they felt comfortable sharing their faith. But listen to this, 78% haven't shared it in the last six months. And that's what I asked last last week. You know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if we were to raise our hand, how many people have shared their faith? We just don't do it. I could do it. I'm comfortable telling somebody how to be saved, but I'm not doing it. We say it's important, but we don't do it. I share all this because the falling away has evolved, and it's complex, and it's this huge snowball. It's a big problem. People have discounted the importance of the church, have discounted the the importance of the kingdom of God. And so my encouragement to us tonight in this this message, as the musicians come, is let's distance ourselves. Let's distance ourselves from any characteristic of that evolution. Let's distance ourselves from any part of what that falling away looks like. And again, you're here on a Wednesday night, but I want to challenge you. Are you here every Wednesday night? Are you here every Sunday night? Are you here every uh, Sunday morning? Are you a part of what the church is doing? Are you invested? Again, are you forming meaningful relationships? Are you being purposeful and intentional? Are you trying to share the gospel with people? Are you a fully vested and invested member? I know what it's like to be a part of a sports team. I know what it's like to coach a sports team. And it is It's not. I I don't want that person on the team if they're not going to be fully in. And even as a player, I felt the same exact way. Look, if you don't want to play, don't play. And there were some conversations that we had uh, with some of our teammates. If you're not, if you don't play, don't play. But don't hurt the team. But it's not like that with the church. Like we're on His team. We're saved. We're part of the church. So we've got to make a decision. I'm going to be one of those fully committed members. I'm, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be identified with the faithful few who are all in. as the Lord's return gets closer, I don't want to be like those who are falling away. Let's, let's determine that tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here again, this encouragement, this uh, challenge, uh, this reminder. Lord, we, we know that your truth, the Word of God, is the only truth, and it's absolute And I pray that our our hearts and our minds that we determine to dig into your truth, to be rooted and grounded in the truth. Lord, I pray that we would also make sure that we are distancing ourselves from this falling away. Lord, that Trinity Baptist Temple would not be, and its members would not be at all um, looking like that we're a part of this falling away. That we would be counted among the faithful few. That we would be absolutely committed from the leadership, to the newest member, help us be all in, committed fully to you. Pray you move tonight and just have your way now in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.